Hi there, beloveds. It's so good to be with you again and to contribute to the Word is Resistance alongside my comrades and fellow preachers and ministers and activists and troublemakers who have been speaking to you on this platform. You're listening to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we're living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance in showing up in collective liberation? In this very not ordinary, ordinary time, we are following the journey of the people of Israel from Abraham through the Exodus to arrival in the Promised Land. This journey of wrestling, oppression, liberation, mistakes, and harm has lessons to teach us about freedom. What does it mean to be free? What does it take to be free? The song you'll hear at various points is a live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement, a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. It's called We Are Building Up a New World. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This is a podcast designed with white listeners in mind. It is, of course, for anyone and everyone to listen to, and we deeply value feedback from listeners of color and those of faith traditions that are not Christian. But we are acknowledging that we as white folks, especially white Christians, have extra work to do, that, is, that it is our responsibility to learn how to resist the forces of white supremacy that we are complicit with. This podcast specifically is about using our religious teachings to help us in the work of resisting whiteness, including challenging white Christian supremacy within the tradition itself. As I record this, Kenosha, Wisconsin, not far from where I spent summers visiting with family as a child, is on fire because a police officer shot Jacob Blake, a black man, in the back and he is still in critical condition, fighting for his life. As I record this, so many people are fighting for their lives. People on ventilators struggling with COVID-19, so many of them black and brown and working class people who did not have to get sick if our country and states had responded in a mature, scientifically grounded, collectively caring way to coronavirus. Black trans people are fighting for their lives in a world defined by anti-blackness and transphobia and capitalism. Working parents with no childcare and children who can't go to school or who have to send their children to unsafe schools are fighting for their lives, often unable to catch a break amidst all the stress and uncertainty. This is why going to ancient texts like the Bible, especially to Exodus, can be so essential in times like this. When we ask ourselves, what do we make of the time that we're in? What kind of God do we worship? What is the story of freedom that we can live into? One of the readings for this week is the story of Moses meeting God in a burning bush. And I think it provides some powerful guidance around these questions. So let's dive in and go find Moses at Horeb, the mountain in Midian, where he encounters the divine in a way that forever changes his life.
When this text is read and taught, we often ask ourselves what it tells us about Moses. But I actually want to focus this week on what this story teaches us about God. Let's look at the text. Here is Exodus 3, 1 through 10, the first part of the excerpt from the lectionary. It says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priests of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The bush was blazing, and yet it was not consumed. Of course Moses was confused. He first tried to get closer to see what this impossible thing was that was happening, why the bush that was on fire was not crumbling to bits and ashes before his eyes, as you would expect. But the bush was blazing and was not consumed. The God of Moses' ancestors does not choose a very subtle symbol here. God chose shows up on a desolate mountain to a shepherd who had lived as a stranger in Midian for most of his adult life after leaving Egypt as a, as a fugitive. And God does not choose a lamb or a babbling brook or a cloud to take the form of. No, God shows up here as a bush that was blazing and yet was not consumed. I knew exactly what I was going to talk to you about this week when I saw similar words written in a Facebook post by Dustin Cron, a Muslim organizer, writer, and public leader from California. He provided an update about the redwood trees in Big Basin State Park. He said, The areas with redwoods, those ancient towering trees, some of which have been standing since Jesus was born, have been bit hard by the fires in recent weeks. But thanks to their resilience, most of the redwoods are scorched, but still standing. They are, thanks to the ingenuity of nature, blazing yet not consumed. 
while hundreds of thousands of people evacuated from nearby residential areas. Scientists are watching the lightning fires burn their way through the redwoods through live cams, the blazes scorching the bottom of the tree trunks like a scene from Dante's Inferno. What can we learn from a God who shows up like this? who calls upon Moses to what feels like an equally impossible task of leading the Hebrews out of 400 years of bondage. Perhaps this liberating God who comes to set Moses' people, enslaved people, free, chooses to show up that day as a burning bush to make a statement about just how tough you have to be in the struggle of freedom. Freedom is no easy road. It's no walk in the park. It's not a casual task. But when I say that God shows up to show Moses how tough we have to be, I don't mean tough in an unfeeling way. The thick skin of the redwoods is not in their invulnerability, but in their creativity about how they will sustain life beyond destruction. According to NPR, the science of how a redwood survives fires even fires caused by the man-made travesty of climate change, is that redwoods have these buds, you see, that lie dormant under their bark that can sprout after the fire. On Easter Sunday of this year, the children's director at my church shared a message with the children, not long after we all first went down on lockdown due to the coronavirus. He said to the kids in this powerful, unforgettable way that we needed them to stay home for a while and to be buried but not buried like to be dead, but to be like seeds so they could keep growing and rise up again. Those buds dormant under the bark, ready to sprout as soon as the fire is over, that is remarkable stuff. That, I pledge to you, is God's stuff. I know because that is exactly how God shows up in this ancient story to Moses, who becomes the hero of his people, and who is, in fact, a model in the narrative for the story of Jesus. Jesus, who comes also to free Israel, not from Egypt, but from Rome. We, too, now are in times that call for our bravest, toughest, most creative, and resilient selves. If you pay attention to the social justice-attuned astrologer Chani Nicholas, you may know she recently wrote about how this new moon cycle we have just entered into signifies that there are turbulent times ahead in these next couple months leading up to the, the election on November 3rd. And that means no matter what the election outcome is, we are in for some challenging times. However you read these times, whether it's through the stars or scripture or through this historical and political moment, we are at a true boiling point. We are in the election of our lives when, as Alicia Garza has said, fascism is on the ballot. We are in a global, unprecedented pandemic with a pathetically precedented immoral response from our leaders. We are in a time of street uprisings against anti-black police violence and people getting evicted and record unemployment. What does it mean to survive these times and to answer God's call to freedom within them? In my work as a program manager with Faith Matters Network, a womanist-led organization focused on personal and social transformation, I've been coordinating a program for rural United Methodist clergy in North Carolina alongside an amazing North Carolina-based team. 
We are holding a digital retreat in September for the clergy, and as our design team sat with each other on Zoom to discern the theme, we settled on the question of surviving these times and answering God's call. Because we do have choices in this moment, even though it might feel like our choices are limited by the conditions of the pandemic, and they are. For those of us who are not frontline workers, or for those of us who have a privilege of a paycheck or relative physical health, we can choose to approach these times from a mere survival perspective, doing what we need to care for ourselves and those in our immediate circles and to just stay afloat. In some days, that might be all we can do. But there is also the moral responsibility and our responsibility as Christians following in the tradition of Moses and Jesus and Tamar and Hagar and Mary to claim the ingenuity and resilience with which we were made, created in the image of God, and to rise to the challenge of these times like a redwood that is scorched but still standing. We cannot rise to the challenge of this moment in history if we rely on narratives of individualism and self-sufficiency, though. When we do great things, when we live into our bravest, most powerful selves, it is because we draw on the power of others. We must get used to calling on a heritage of freedom-loving people, and I don't mean Fourth of July barbecues. I mean a heritage of people who struggled for justice, people in your own ancestry and those in, move in movements or in your faith tradition people who you can look to in order to light the way, to draw strength from when you are weary and worn, because there will be those times. We are in those times. I recently created an altar of some of the white women I looked to as ancestors in the work of being a white woman myself, who is organizing my life around a vision of a world beyond racial capitalism. Placing them facing each other and me, I lit candles and had a conversation with these icons when I was feeling nervous for a big event in which I would need to be vulnerable, specifically to be vulnerable about race in front of hundreds of people that I respected. I wrote a blog post about the women that I call to. When I am scared of rejection, I will call for the fortitude of the Grimkiss sisters who defied law and social rules to resist slavery as Southern white women in the 19th century and who drew on their faith as a rock. When I am confused, I will call for the perception of Lillian Smith who saw that her full liberation as a white woman was wrapped up in resisting white body supremacy whose writing went inside the mind of the culture she was raised in to understand and resist it from within. When I need joy, I will call for the voice of Zilphia Horton, who wrote music in solidarity with labor movement leaders and racial justice freedom fighters, who knew that losing ourselves in song is necessary for revolution. When I am hesitant, I will call for the courage and clarity of Anne Braden, who told us that we have a choice and showed us with her life that we don't have to uphold the world of the lynchers. When I need understanding, I will call for the shrewd mind of Silvia Federici, an Italian scholar of capitalism, dreamer of alternatives, who shines a light on how we got into this mess just as much as she sketches outlines for how we get out. When I need to express myself, I will call for the wordcraft of Adrian Rich, poet, 
lesbian critic who knew how to situate herself in a politics of a location in all the dimensions of her identity, in ways that made her trustworthy even to Audre Lorde, who we know did not mess around with mediocre white women. And when I need direction, I will call for the wisdom of Mav Segrist, who, as a queer white Southern organizer, has known when to take up space and when to lead from behind, and whose honesty and vision in her writing inspired me to take myself seriously. I want to offer to you that in addition to ancestors like this that you can find and claim for yourself, we are all descended from the Redwoods. These trees are, in fact, our ancestors in ways we cannot escape. So no matter how much we feel like we can't find our own bark with hidden seeds for after the fire, we are made of the same stuff. When God created the redwoods and created us, she breathed into us the same possibilities for transformation after destruction, for thriving after our worst nightmares, for life after death. I want you to know that you are not alone and that in resisting racism, you have history, ancestors, and all of creation on your side. In this story, Moses is at a turning point. He's about to say yes to God, to say yes to his people, to say yes to freedom. I imagine the scene that might have come after this one, before he gets on the road to Egypt, when he is packing his bag, deciding what he'll take with him for this mission. What can you take with you in your journey to freedom? In your journey resisting white supremacy as a white person, in your journey to build beloved community in spite of the ways history has turned us against our human family as white folks? What practices can you take with you from your own family, from your heritage, from your tradition, from your culture, or from what you love and from what brings you joy? What can you take with you to give you strength? What do you need to leave behind? What will you use to grow buds in your bark, to become a redwood, to survive the flames? For an action step this week, I ask that you call the Kenosha District Attorney Michael Gravely to demand justice now for the shooting of Jacob Blake at 262-653-2400. You can also call Kenosha's mayor at 262-653-4000 or the Wisconsin Department of Justice at 608-266-1221. Please also take time to learn about the BREATHE Act, legislation that was written by the Movement for Black Lives and has been introduced in Congress to address the root causes of police violence and to end the war on black people. You can learn more about how to amplify the call for this legislation at www.breatheact.org. It is through collective action that we become more resilient, letting folks know that we have their backs that we are connected, indivisible, in the life of God and the world. We'll put these numbers and the website in the transcript so you can take action.
Resilience is not fluffy stuff. So I don't want to romanticize it or just use the redwoods as a symbol without acknowledging the enormous destruction that people who live in California have seen and survived communities that have survived oppression learn. Please refer to the transcript for some action steps that allow you to support communities of color that have been impacted by the fires in California in recent weeks. Personal and collective resilience is not just bubble baths. It is work, and it is hard won. I want to close with a different sacred text, the poem I Rise by Maya Angelou. As you listen, think of God as an ancient tree that is blazing but not consumed, or as the wisdom of a person like Maya Angelou, a black woman former sex worker, and the kind of vulnerable toughness, the seriously fought for resilience from which she writes. Thank you so much to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and just like suns with a certainty of tides, just like hopes springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken? bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling like down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard, cause I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words and you may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame I rise, up from a past that's rooted in pain I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise, into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Amen.